Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come together, to focus on you, worship you, and to hear from you. And we pray that you would speak now through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable all of us to be able to really grow in our ability to hear your voice and minister your voice to other people. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was this little girl, and she had two apples. She had an apple in each hand. And her mother walks in the room, and her mother's smiling and sees her daughter and says, Hey, sweetie, can I have one of those apples? And her daughter thought about it for a second. Then she took a bite out of one, took a bite out of the other. And her mother's smile went to a frown because her mother was so disappointed. But then the daughter said, Here, take this one, Mommy. It's the sweeter one. See, sometimes we make judgments a little too quickly, don't we? Before we have all the facts. It's really best to wait until all the facts come in before we make our final judgment on things. I think this is even true of the beliefs that we hold. Sometimes we hold certain beliefs that we have an insufficient amount of understanding and information on which we base those beliefs. Maybe even a wrong understanding on which you base those beliefs. Well, today we're going to continue our series on hearing the voice of God. And I want to consider the subject of New Testament prophecy or the gift of New Testament prophecy. So let's turn to our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you have it handy, there's Bibles and see back in front of you. And we'll also be putting verses up on the screen. But remember in Acts chapter 2, the situation, it was the day of Pentecost. You have 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are 120 Christian men and women that are waiting in the upper room in prayer in Jerusalem, waiting for what Jesus told them would come, that they would be clothed with power from on high. And they're waiting for that to happen in a prayer room, prayer meeting. Now, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 2, the Holy Spirit comes into that room like a rushing wind. And then verse 4 says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And then in Acts 2.11, more specifically, we see that it actually informs us what they were speaking in other tongues, because those who understood those languages report what they were speaking in these other tongues. In Acts 2.11, they say, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. We hear them speaking in our own language. The content that they're speaking is the, of the mighty deeds of God. Then Acts 2.16, the apostle Peter then explains what is happening to the crowd that has gathered. He says that this, this, what is happening, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So the apostle Peter actually is explaining that what is happening on the day of Pentecost with that move of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit falling and filling, uh, falling upon these believers and filling these believers and what they were doing now, prophesying and speaking in other languages, other tongues, 
Peter says, this, what you see, this is what Joel prophesied would happen. Let's just read it because Peter quotes that in his sermon, Acts 2, 17 and 18. Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 and says this, it shall be, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I'll pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So the prophet Joel said that in the last days, there is going to be a great worldwide, all flesh, worldwide outpouring of the Spirit. And the mark of that outpouring would be a widespread prophesying of men and women, old and young, low class, high class, all flesh. But I want you to notice in that passage that the prophet Joel said, and Peter quotes him, that this would happen in the last days. Well, when is that? When are the last days? Well, the apostle Peter says it was happening right then. Right then, 2,000 years ago. Again, Peter says this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. But think about this for a moment. If the last days were beginning then... And where does that put us? Doesn't put us in the last days? You say, well, wait a second. I thought the last days was just a, a little brief period right before Jesus returns. Well, actually, since Jesus came the first time, all the days since then are called the last days. That's how the Bible calls it. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. So since the Son of God came, Jesus came, that first time, since that time, the last days began. So we live in the last days. So we should expect, what we should expect is that men and women, young and old, upper class, lower class, whatever, in the last days, our days, we would expect that there would be a worldwide phenomena that is described in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, God will pour out his spirit in all flesh, not just Jews. Now, Peter ends his sermon, and, and, and Brian actually quoted this passage during the baptism, Acts chapter 2, verse 39, he finishes by saying, for the promise of the Spirit, back in verse 38, this promise of the Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. So that includes all the, the Gentiles down uh, through the centuries who are called by God uh, since, uh, since the first coming of Christ. So all who repent and believe and say yes to that repentance and belief by being baptized, that's the way we say yes in the New Testament, 
will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the manifestations of the Spirit in the last days is this amazingly widespread gift of prophecy. Again, I want to read it again, Acts 2, 17 and 18. Notice it again. It shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days... What days? Our days. Pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now here's where we got to stop and just take a, a, a break for a moment and think about this because a lot of us in this room, a lot that are online right now, would have to, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but have to admit that we come from a tradition in church, a tradition theologically that we're taught, that we're actually taught that God doesn't do that sort of thing anymore. That he did that thing then, but he doesn't do that sort of thing now. But we need to realize anytime we have a tradition that we have been taught that is contradictory to the Word of God, that we got to repent of our tradition and we have to embrace and come in agreement with the Word. Now, Jesus actually rebukes the Pharisees, if you remember, for holding their tradition above the Word. Mark chapter 7, verse 8 and 9, Jesus says this to them of them, neglecting the commandment of God, then he says to them, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. This is something that Christians have done all through church history. And that is, is a tendency that if their experience is not lining up with the Bible that they're reading, rather than pursuing the experience they see in the Bible, they go ahead and twist the verses in the Bible to fit their experience. And we can't do that. We have to be those who say, look, if it's in there, Lord, I want everything in the book. I want everything you're doing today. I want to be part of it. And so we want to talk a little bit about really what is this New Testament prophecy? How does this work? So again, I want to just review something we've already covered in our Hearing the Voice of God series, and that is the simple truth that this gift has not passed away. And we're actually taught in the scriptures when it will stop. There's a time it will cease. Words of knowledge, gift of this, you know, prophesying, and speaking in tongues, it actually tells us when these things will cease. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 it says, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. Well, when? He's going to tell us. If there are tongues, they will cease. Well, when? He's going to tell us. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Okay, so when the perfect comes and the gift of prophecy, speaking in tongues, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all these things will be done away with when the perfect comes. Well, when is that? He tells us two verses later, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see it a mirror dimly, but then, but then is when the perfect comes. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I have been fully known. That happens when we see Jesus face to face, when he comes again. So the Bible actually tells us when this, these gifts, these, they're called controversial gifts, they're, only, they're not controversial in the Bible, the Bible tells us when these gifts will cease, when they will no longer be needed. 
And that is when the perfect comes, and that's when we see Jesus face to face. That's when Christ returns. So this starts, all this activity of the Spirit starts on the day of Pentecost in the church, which is, you know, is, is the beginning of that Joel 2 fulfillment of these last days, and it goes until Jesus comes again. So we live, we live in the period of the outpoured spirit. We're living in this time. Now, the ministry of the prophetic, of God speaking directly to us or through us, or through us to others in the body, whether it is through words of knowledge, words of wisdom. By the way, a lot of people, they, they don't use those words because they didn't want to, I grew up in a, I had some years earlier, at least in a tradition that said those things, that's only what charismatics and Pentecostals did. And well, we don't do that sort of thing. So we don't say prophetic or words of wisdom, words not. We say things like, well, God laid it on my heart. Or God impressed upon me. And, uh, and I just think we're just trying to, we're, we're trying to put it and frame it in a different way, but it is the same thing. It is God speaking. But this ministry of the prophetic, God speaking directly to us, whether it be dreams and visions or, you know, or, or, or word, prophetic words, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, or that still small voice, all of this continues until Jesus comes again. And so I want us to consider today, I want to focus on this a New Testament prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, that sort of thing. Next week, we'll focus on dreams and visions, what the Bible teaches about that, what we should expect and then how to, how to interpret these things and how to apply these things in our lives. And ultimately, I want to end this Hearing God series with how to live day by day in a conversational relationship with God and hear his still, small voice. Because that is the goal. The goal is not some great, just a great dream or vision or moment. Those are wonderful. The goal is for us to learn to walk in a conversational relationship with him. That, is, that really is the goal of maturity. See, I think, you can be a very, I think you can be spiritually immature and have a moment of prophecy or a moment of, or a dream or vision, but I think it takes maturity to walk in a conversational relationship with him. And that's ultimately where I really want us to kind of crescendo, so to speak, this, this series on hearing the voice of God. But today let's, let's focus on a New Testament prophecy and I want to start by what is the personality of New Testament prophecy? Now, before we understand what it is, we need to understand what it is not. It's important that we understand that we're not talking about something that's at the same level as the Scriptures, the tested Word of God. The Old Testament prophets spoke and wrote words with absolute divine authority. They wrote the words of, words of God in Scripture for all time. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, here's what it says. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's, one's own interpretation, for no prophecy, talking Old Testament prophecy, was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So to disbelieve or disobey the Old Testament prophet's words was to disbelieve or disobey the word of God. And also, the New Testament apostles are the, counter, are the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament prophets. They also wrote with divine authority the New Testament scriptures. And this passage is very, 
important for us to understand. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2 says this. As you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. There's the Old Testament. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. There's the New Testament. So the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles give us the word of God. But New Testament prophecy is something different. Let me say this again. Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles give us the word of God, the scriptures, tested, proven, inspired, authoritative, infallible word of God. Now we have something called New Testament prophecy, and it's something a little different. New Testament prophecy was used of Christians who spoke not with divine authority, but simply to report what God had, to, what God had revealed to them. The New Testament gift of prophecy, remember the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly or in a mirror dimly. That's New Testament prophecy. It's not the same level as Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles. See, a New Testament prophecy, the person giving that prophecy may actually not, not receive it with full clarity because you're seen through a glass darkly may not understand it perfectly, and may not deliver it perfectly. That's why, again, the Apostle Paul says we see through a glass darkly when it comes to New Testament prophecy. There's truth there, but it's not that same level of scriptures. I gave you some examples of this in my, in my own personal life, and, and that is one time I was, we had a meeting, I think it was like a Wednesday night or Friday night special prayer meeting, and there were people who came up for prayer at the end, and there was a man standing for prayer that I'd never seen before. I knew nothing about this man. Now, the fact of the matter was this man had been a worship leader in a, in a denomination, and he had fallen into sexual immorality, and so he stepped out of ministry, and then he was so covered in guilt and shame, he didn't think God could ever use him anymore, and he just totally walked away from it all. And for some, some, somehow, some reason, he showed up in a meeting. Never laid eyes on him. He comes, he stands up front for prayer. And I don't know any of this about him. And I'm, I lay hands on him to pray for him. And then I just have this picture in my mind. I didn't go into a trance. I just had this picture. And I saw him standing on a stage with a guitar. And, and, there was a, and the stage was all dark. And he's standing there. And, there was, and the light was coming and the shadow was shrinking until it came halfway on him. And then it stopped. And he's got his guitar. He's on stage like he's leading something. And the light came, and it, split, and it was like he needs to make some decisions. So I just started praying that. I said, I, let me just tell you what I'm seeing. I see, I see the light has come, and, and you're standing between darkness and light, and you've got a decision to make. And I see you with a guitar in your hand, and what are you going to do? And he just broke down to his knees and began to weep because he knew exactly what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. Well, I'm just seeing through a glass darkly. But when the, the, hearers, the hearer of that prophetic word knew exactly what it was, that he realized he'd been running from God, he'd been in darkness, and here it was, God's given him an invitation. Will you come back? Right now the choice is yours. Here's the light, here's the darkness. What will you do? And he began to weep. I tell you, right away, 
he told me the situation. We'd be able, we began to pray for it, and, and he got back in the ministry. He's in Colorado right now leading a, a very, very powerful ministry. And, but, it, but that would have taken us hours to get that understanding of what God was doing that God gave in just seconds. But I just want you to see, but it was all through a glass darkly. But there was power in it. Let me give you another example. Many of you know that one of the ministries that we support in Uganda and Sudan is called Favor of God Ministries, Carol Ward. She's been here and spoken. And the first time Carol came to one of, came, she actually came to a, a staff prayer meeting. I had never met her. I did not know her. I did not know her ministry it was called Favor of God Ministries. And she's in our prayer meeting. She's just there and she's weeping in prayer. And so Steve Headland, who knew her, asked her to come up for prayer. Again, I don't even know who she is. And so I, I, I put my hand on her to pray for her. And I just kept saying this over her. I said, the favor of God is on your ministry. The favor of God is on your ministry. The favor of God is on your ministry. And she's boo-hooing. I didn't know her ministry was called Favor of God Ministries. <laughs> and also, you know, that she was actually, uh, where she ministers is called the Pearl of Africa. You remember Winston Churchill actually named that part of Africa the Pearl of Africa. And then the next word the Lord gave me for her when I was praying for her was, they call you the crazy white woman, but you are the, but God sees you as a white pearl. And I find out later that they did. They all called her the crazy white woman because she's the only white person in that part of, the, of Africa ministering. And, and they thought she could be killed, but she never left. And they just called her the crazy white woman. So again, she starts boo-hooing. But that's exactly what God could speak to her. I didn't know what all that was. It just and people around me hear me say this. Is that well, Gary's flipped out, you know, or whatever. But her, those were the exact words that spoke into her heart. That yes, because she was somewhat discouraged by some things that just happened, and she was like, "Yes, God is for me still. He has called me to this." And and you can just imagine how faith and courage rises up in those kinds of times. Let me give you another example. Some of you know Bob and Julie Mendonza, who minister now in Kenya with. Naomi's Village, a wonderful, it started as an orphanage, now it's a full-blown school, and, and they've got 150 staff members. It's just huge ministry. Well, Bob and Julie, they were in Grace when we were meeting across the street from Arlington High School, and Bob was an orthopedic surgeon at the time, and they were just in our church uh, service, and we were in a prayer meeting together. And during the prayer meeting, I just looked up and I glanced at him and turned away, and it's like I saw them wearing... Like, like the kind of safari outfit, like you're going on safari in Africa. I just saw it, and I turned away, and I doubled, and I looked again, and they were back in their, they're in their normal clothes. I thought, that was kind of weird. <laughs> so afterward, I was praying for them afterward, and I started, you know, I just said, I just see you guys making some kind of transition. I see you in, a, in like a desert area. I, see, and I started describing the, the, this area. So I laid it all out, and I talked about Africa some, and then I kind of forgot about it. Well, that week, Bob gets a phone call from this ministry that wants him to come to that part of Kenya and describes the climate, describes everything that I just described to him, invites him to come and do some ministry for once for a summer. Well, so Bob's like recalling all this and tells Julie, because Julie was thinking, I'm not going to Africa. But when Bob tells her all this, Julie started to think, well, maybe God is in all this stuff. 
Well, eventually, we, the give, give, Lord gave us another word that they're going to go a few times uh, part-time, then they're eventually going to move. And that's exactly what they did. And now they have this amazing, powerful ministry. But I'm just telling you those things that but when you're seeing through a glass darkly, you, you just kind of report what it is you're seeing, but there's power in it for the other person that you don't really realize when it's happening sometimes. But I want you to understand that, that New Testament prophecy functions like that. It's just a matter of reporting what God is showing you but it is not at the level of the scriptures, the written word of God. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice a contrast in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. The Apostle Paul says to these believers in Thessalonica, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So these Thessalonian believers received the word of God. Remember, this, this is Apostle Paul, capital A, Apostle. The word of God, they received it and accepted it as the word of God. All right? Now I want you to see chapter 5. Same book, second, First Thessalonians, but now we go from chapter 2 to chapter 5. He says this, verse 19 to 21. Paul says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Now he's talking about New Testament prophetic utterances. Do not despise that. Why did he have to say don't despise it? Because many people were despising it. Do not despise it, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. You see the contrast between what he says in chapter 2 and chapter 5. If New Testament prophecy had equaled the word of God in authority, he would never have said had have had to say to them, do not despise it. Because back in chapter 2, they already received and accepted God's word as coming from the Holy Spirit. So here's my point. New Testament prophecy is not equal to the written word of God, which is what the Apostle Paul is actually writing to these Thessalonian believers. He says, New Testament prophecy, what do you do with it? You test everything. You test it. That implies that the prophecies in the New Testament contain some things that aren't good and some things that are good since you're supposed to hold fast to that which is good. So you kind of sort through it since it comes through a glass darkly. You sort through it and say, God, where is the truth in this? You don't just throw it all out or discount it all and you don't just receive it all without doing some evaluation. How do you evaluate it? You evaluate it with the written word of God. So this... So New Testament prophecy is less than authoritative, obviously, it doesn't have the authority of the Scriptures, and must be tested by the Scriptures. So it's crucial, if we're going to be a people who can hear God's voice today, that we need to, we need to be people with the written Word of God. We better know the Scriptures. Or I'm telling you, uh, people that start thinking they're hearing from God and really don't be, aren't careful to study the Scriptures get really wacky. And that church gets wacky. So the primary way that God speaks to his people today, the primary way is through his written word. So we must be people who know the scriptures, discern uh, God's, and so we can discern when God is speaking to us in other ways, with a still small voice and through prophecy and so forth. So we must know the scriptures if we uh, want to hear from God. So become a lover of the Word of God, first and foremost. Become a lover of God's Word. Read it, meditate on it, know it. And that will be the primary way God speaks to you. But also, as God does speak to you other ways, you will be able to really gauge what 
is what voices you're hearing because it's not only God's voice isn't the only voice out there. We got to be able to discern it. Now, having said all that, you know, it's I got to tell you that some of my most painful experiences the last 39 years in ministry have actually come from somebody claiming to give a prophetic word to me about me or about the church. So why in the world, if that's true, why in the world would I encourage others to walk in the prophetic when it's caused me so much pain? Let me tell you why. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, here's why. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. See, if you just want a nice and tidy church, well, and a lot of pastors say, We're not, we, don't want, we don't want any of that stuff, any of that prophetic stuff. Because it, so they want it nice and tidy. Yeah, I tell you, where there's no oxen, the manger's clean. But there's much increase comes by the strength of the ox. There is strength in the prophetic, and I'm willing to shovel some manure. And so that's, that's where we got to be. So it's, it's got to be pastored. And, and because if it doesn't, it, it gets really sloppy and people can get hurt. But I've seen so much strength in it, I'm willing to clean up some messes. You know, there's been times where there's, so, there, there's just so much strength and power in it. The very first time that when I was, uh, you know, you, typically I just give a prophetic word here and there in prayer meetings or in small groups. And, but I was, I, was in a, I was doing a ministry in China one time. And we had 70 young pastors in training. And, and during one of the lunch breaks, one of them was talking to me. And, and God just spoke, really put something in my heart for this guy. And I just spoke it to him. And it really was a prophetic word. And the, the, my, my translator who's sitting next to me knew the guy. And he looked at me and said, everything you just said was just exactly true, this guy. And then he said, would you prophesy over others? And I'm like, well, you know, it says in Romans 12, let him who prophesies, prophesy according to his faith. I said, and I just felt God give me faith to say, yes, I'll prophesy. And so we lined people up, and it went, it went on hours, hours, and hours, and over 70 leaders. And the guy that was translating for me knew them all, and he kept looking at me going, that's exactly the situation. But that's, I don't live in that place, guys. I'm just saying that God did that. He, they, I mean, he gave me the faith for that moment. He did it. Because sometimes I have people come up to me and, and say, do you have a, have a word for me? And I'm going, I don't carry that around in my pocket. That's not how this works. This is all God. I'm like the mailman, okay? I mean, it comes from God to you, but, but I, that's, we just got to see what God wants to do here. I mean, he runs the show, amen? amen? It's all from him and by him and for him. Let's talk a little bit about the, new, the purpose of New Testament prophecy. It was for edification, exhortation, and consolation. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. My point being that his primary purpose in the church is not for correction and or direction. It's for edification, exhortation, consolation. Not primarily for correction or direction. Now, if somebody believes they have a corrective or directive word for the body, then that should be given to the elders and the pastors who love the sheep and will shepherd them through any correction or direction. It's not for the person with the prophetic word to correct the church. Never. It's for the shepherds who love the sheep. 
to do that. It's for those who have the gift of uh, prophecy to speak for edification, exhortation, consolation. But if they do believe they have a, a word, come give it to one of the leaders. And I have people that do that from time to time. Give me that. They think they have a directive word or corrective word for the body. And uh, <clears throat> I'll say, okay, now give it to me. And I'll say, okay, you're free. You don't have to make sure this happens because it's not your place to administer this. So you're released. And I'll, I'll take responsibility what to do with that. If I believe it's from the Lord or not, and then I'll take it and we'll take it to other leaders and we'll think about whether or not we have confirmation on that before we would move forward with something like that. One time we had a, a, a meeting in which it was, it was like, it was, it was a, a special meeting of worship and prayer. And, and during that meeting, there's a, a guy who was visiting that I'd never seen before. And he comes up and grabs a microphone. And he starts doing this corrective rebuke over the body with his eyes closed like this. And I don't even know who this guy is. And these are people I love. Not to mention that I think it was completely off base in what he's saying. So I pop right up, and I'm, and I'm tapping his, he's got his mic right there, the eyes closed, I'm tapping his hand as he's talking. And I just take the mic from him and say, go have a seat. I'm not letting that happen here. I'm not letting some guy come in here and beat up the sheep who doesn't even know these sheep or love these sheep. So it's, it's, we have to make sure that we, we understand really the role of this sort of thing and how it is administered. Now, another purpose for New Testament prophecy is it convicts some, disclosing the secrets of their hearts and bringing them to repentance. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. And this, this can even happen in the preaching of the word of God. Someone can give a message and somebody comes up afterward and goes, you've been reading my mail? You ever heard that refresh? You've been reading my mail? I feel like you're talking just to me. And, and, and that is, and a lot of times, a prophetic gift can function through teaching and preaching as, so, as illustrations, everything. All of a sudden, someone's like, feels like that was right to my heart, and I am brought to conviction. Also, it provides insight for selection of particular individuals for special tasks. In fact, uh, we see that in Acts chapter 13. Remember, they picked Paul and Barnabas for this task, and it was, that was given prophetically by the Holy Spirit probably through some of the prophets there at that time. And we've seen that happen. I tell you, you know, all of our staff, have, you know, most all of our staff have come up from out of our, out of our church. And, and Don was just up here. Don, you know, was, before he was our you know, cross-cultural uh, minister, our missions pastor, he was actually a, a manager out at Aerospatial Helicopters. And before Don came on staff, and, I, and Don knows this, and we talked about it way back then, but I haven't talked to him in about a long time, but... But there was a period of time before I, I was really urging Don to consider coming on our staff where I was praying about the whole thing, and I had a dream one night in which I saw Don laying in a casket, and he was delivered to the church in a casket. And I thought, oh, dear Lord, you're going to kill Don. <laughs> no, I didn't think that. But I'm like, what is that all about, Lord? And, and really what the Lord showed me was is that he was doing a work in Don of bringing him to death to himself before he delivers him to this church staff. And that's exactly what I think happened. 
And, uh, and Don's been just a great, great leader in our staff. Another purpose of the prophetic is solving of disputes. We see that in Acts 15, 28, and 32. Also, guidance in making various decisions. We see that in Acts 16, verse 6 to 10. Uh, sometimes it was even uh, predictive. We see that in Acts 11, 27 and 28, Acts 20, verse 23, Acts 21, verse 10 and 11. It was even sometimes predictive. And it's interesting. I don't know if many of you guys know, most, many of you know Joe and Rebecca Ward. They serve a youth ministry <clears throat> and do a great job. I've known Joe's been in church for, golly, I don't know, 28 years or something like that. But raised both his boys in church and, and his youngest son named Cameron, who's now a pastor. Uh, but when Cameron was like nine years old, I was, I was, Joe brought him for me to pray for him. I laid my hands out to pray for him. I look up at Joe and said, I just looked at Joe, and I've, I've not done this maybe twice in my life. I look up at Joe and said, he's got the call of being a pastor in his life. And, I just, and it was just a matter of fact, it just kind of came out. And it, just, it was interesting to watch the whole thing happen after that, because now he is pastoring, and uh, see God bring that about. But sometimes it's, it's just predictive. But... Uh, and so there is, the, that's the, uh, the purpose of New Testament prophecy. And I'm going to actually have to stop here in a minute, pick it up. But I'm just going to give you a little bit about the practice of New Testament prophecy. And I want to come back and pick this up next week. But I want to break down the, the, the practice of New Testament prophecy into three things. There is the receiving of prophetic revelation, the giving of prophetic revelation, and the testing of prophetic revelation. And we need to know how to do these three things. And we're going to talk about how to do that. How do you receive it? How do you give it? And how do you test it? And let me just say, I'm going to close by talking about how do you receive prophetic revelation. The key to receiving prophetic revelation is this. Friendship with Jesus is key. John 15, 50, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I've heard from my Father have made known to you. The reward of friendship with Jesus is revelation. The closer you draw to Jesus, the more you hear from him. Again, our goal, maturity, is a conversational relationship with our Lord. But a big part of that will be prophetic. He, you, he will be sharing what's on his heart with you as you draw closer to him. And so I think this is a good time. Now, let's all stand, and we'll finish the rest of this next week. Let's stand up, and Tony, come on up here. And I just think it would be good for us to end with this focus of just our desire to be closer friends with him, to hear from him so he could use us to build up other people, not impress other people, encourage them, console them, exhort them, build them up. And that's really the goal of this. That's the, the purpose behind uh, being able to hear God's voice and speaking into other people's lives, not to control them, not to somehow make yourself look good, but to bless them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. So let's just let's close your eyes, if you would, for a moment. Father, we want to be those who know how to hear your voice. We want to be those that you can trust with this kind of knowledge and be able to speak it into people's lives that will bless them. We want to be those who know how to encourage and console and exhort in supernatural ways, speak things that unlock people's hearts and release them from pain and bring healing, bring encouragement, cause faith and courage to rise up. So, Lord, we ask you, would you draw us into just a closer friendship with you?
a closer friendship with you? Or would you cause us to, to really want to walk out this adventure of nearness to you more than we ever have? And there's many here, Lord, I know that have walked with you for decades. But Lord, all of us could walk closer. We're asking you to help us do that. We're asking you to help us be those who are walking in a conversational relationship with you. Take us to that place to be able to speak words into people's lives that really do encourage and bless them, console them, strengthen them. So this week, Lord, we just pray that we just would start today and we'd find ourselves this week being different in this time with you every day, moment by moment. 